Hi, this is Benjamin Joff, partner at SOSV. We invest globally in early-stage startups with a focus on deep tech, ranging from cellular agriculture to neurotech and service robots. In this podcast, startup founders and investors tell us how innovation can go from lab to market. We've met almost 1,100 companies in the last three years to make 11 investments. I am actually seeing some really world-class innovations coming from India in all sectors. Manish Single is the founding partner of Pi Ventures, a $30 million early-stage deep tech fund based in Bangalore. Before founding Pi Ventures in 2016 as one of the very first AI-focused funds, he has worked for over two decades in R&D, product, and general management roles in global companies, including Motorola and Sling Media, creating video technologies and consumer electronics. In this episode, Manish talks about the growing local deep tech scene, the attractive opportunities in the market, his approach to deep tech investment, and the emergence of global players made in India. Manish, pleasure to have you today. We first connected a few years back as you had just started Pi Ventures. Could you tell a bit about your story? Pleasure to be here, Benjamin. So just to give you a quick background on us, uh, we are a deep tech fund uh, based out of India. We started four years back. Our initial thesis of the fund was to actually back AI companies which are doing deep work in AI. And that's what pretty much we have done in the last four years. In addition to that, in the last few months, what we realized is that that AI needs data. And that is all built on a digital fabric. But there are some really good innovations happening in what we call as the beyond digital area material science, space technology, core engineering, biotech, etc. So we have started opening our thesis a little bit to look at these innovations, which could be world-beating innovations coming out of India to be part of our thesis. And we have actually made an investment recently called Agnikool, which is into space technology, where the company makes 3D printed rockets to launch smaller satellites in the space. So overall, in short, we, we are still an AI-focused fund, but we do look at uh, deep tech across so I've been associated in the deep tech for last 28 years in India, first as an entrepreneur and a product uh, development guy, and now in the investment space. And I am actually seeing some really cool and world-class innovations coming from India in the last few years in all sectors, be it in AI, as a technology, cutting across finance, healthcare, a lot of work is happening, agri-tech or space or material science or biotech. So we are seeing some very good work across sectors in deep tech. It's very clear that India has emerged as a global force in startups in the past few years, uh, even though it seems that most of the technology is still targeting the local market. Uh, I think the the latest uh, numbers on the venture capital was uh, over $14 billion invested across all sectors last year in 2019, close to a 1,000 active investors and something like 21 unicorns, making India the fourth largest breeder of unicorns after US, China. UK is just a bit ahead, but probably not for long. Yeah, India is a growing ecosystem. Uh, deep tech is a small part of it. It's growing very rapidly, but uh, the larger ecosystem is a quite big system and has really grown in the last few years. You decided to enter the deep tech sector through the AI angle, even before AI was cool in India. Like 2016 was probably very frontier. Absolutely. I, I'll tell you some couple of funny stories about it. So the first time uh, we thought of uh, doing an AI thesis was back in Jan 2016. And I have a mentor over here. Uh, his name is Subrata. He runs Axel uh, Partners, a very well-established venture investor. So he, he told me that, okay, fine, you want to do AI, go and find three good companies in the ecosystem and see whether there are companies around. 
and I tried for two months and I could not find anything. It just puts us in a doubt whether we should do this or not. But during that two month search, I actually got more convinced that AI as a technology is going to disrupt many, many sectors because that's the most intelligent way of human-like way of uh, interpreting data. And therefore, things will come. We're just early. Luckily, it played out that way. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here talking to you today. (laughs) (laughs) Well, almost by definition, I think investors are a little bit like startups. You have to be early, otherwise you're late. Absolutely. I keep saying that you can afford to be wrong, but you cannot afford to be late. I read one very interesting blog post you wrote about some uh, iconic innovations that uh, you saw in India. Probably in the first early years, many innovations were like adaptations from other markets. But it looks like now there's a lot of genuine innovations. Where does the talent come from in India? I've seen this uh, whole uh, system emerge in the last 30 years. And I think in the 90s, we were basically doing what other people were telling us. We were literally a service industry. And then it led to another decade, which was early 2000 to maybe late 2010, etc., where uh, I think the talent developed enough so that people were still getting to know what to develop, but they were figuring out their own ways to develop products, right? So it kind of led way to a slightly, I would say, semi-product thinking to this decade where we are clearly seeing a product-led, IP-led thinking where people are not just developing the IP and product themselves, but also figuring out what to develop, what are the needs in the market. That has actually led to the creation of very original ideas, very original startups coming out of India. And we are seeing continuously those things. And we will give you some examples as we go along. It's an interesting thing. What we have seen is that deep tech talent actually is not coming from the academia so much, which has been the stronghold for deep tech uh, in the past. Today, the technology is democratized to some extent. We are seeing talent of deep tech coming from people who are passionate about it and they could come from every walk of life. The gentleman who is a founder of our space tech company was actually a private equity investor. He was so passionate about space tech that he kept kept studying, kept studying in parallel and then convinced a professor in IIT Madras to incubate him. That's how they came together and formed this uh, startup. And we have so many other examples where people have come from different AI labs in the country from Microsoft, Google, Amazon, MX, etc, etc. And they have come out and then they have launched startups. So we are seeing a good mix of people who are coming from different walks of life, passionate about solving a problem and then finding a unique way to solve it. Do you see a mix of uh, younger talent and uh, more experienced talent? Uh, What seems to be prevalent? Actually, we are seeing both. In healthcare, we tend to see entrepreneurs with a little bit slightly more experience, maybe 10 years or so, because sometimes it becomes a harder game to crack everything through. I would say there is a good mix of people in uh, coming right out of universities, launching startups. There is a very interesting uh, satellite company which has just got launched in India by two fresh graduates from Bits Pilani, just out of their engineering. And then we see a mix of people around 10 to 20 years of experience. So I would say it's quite spread. That's interesting. Can you tell more about what are the sectors that seem to be growing the fastest and seem to be the most exciting within deep tech in India? The way we look at it is we don't so track sectors so much, but I will give you my sense, right? We are a little bit of a bottom-up investor. What that means is that we try and we keep meeting entrepreneurs. We've met almost 1,100 companies in the last three years to make 11 investments, right? During this process, what excites us is that if we find an entrepreneur who's passionate about a problem which is very large and also has a unique way of solving it, that gets us excited. And then we go and study the sector. 
So we have a little bottom up, and that's how uh, you know out of the eleven investments, four of our investments actually ended up being in healthcare. Although we had no idea when we started that we would be so heavily focused on healthcare, because we found those entrepreneurs, we found those relevant problems to be solved by these guys, and we got attracted towards it. Uh, so broadly speaking, I think we are seeing good work in deep tech in healthcare. A lot of it, some of it is enabled by AI and data. because that's one way of solving it but it is not limited to that uh, there are companies here which are doing good work in biotechnology like there is a company called pandorum technologies in bangalore which has created an artificial human cornea in the lab so we are seeing a good mix of companies using digital and beyond digital fabric to create innovations so healthcare is big space tech surprisingly benjamin suddenly we are finding a lot of companies innovating in space tech in the last couple of years in india it is not a surprise when you go back and look because isro which is the indian space agency is actually a pretty advanced is space agency they have been launching rockets for last 20 years and all that knowledge all that infrastructure all that talent is available for people here to use and launch disruptive startups in the sector so we are seeing a lot of work in that uh, we are seeing a lot of work in agri tech although we have not made any investment so far but we are seeing some very good work in agri tech we are seeing some very good work in robotics being done out of india which is very original uh, drones as well almost every sector we are seeing some very interesting companies coming out of india within your portfolio i noticed one company called uh, niramai that seems to be doing something really interesting i think niramai is one of our initial investments we made almost two and a half three years ago they solve a very fundamental problem of breast cancer If you know breast cancer is one of the cancers which is completely curable provided you can detect it early. Now the current methodologies which includes your hand examination which includes your mammogram or an ultrasound they are all based on finding a lump in your breast which when you do a biopsy you can find out whether this cancer or not. So first it's a two step process second the lump has to become palpable for any of these technologies to pick up. so you are already late in the game so what niramai does is they take a thermal picture of the area and instead of finding a lump they try to find abnormal cell growth in your breast which is direct cancer abnormal cell growth is cancer lump lump may or may not be cancer so using that they have now nine patents granted from the us they have screened almost 30000 women in india uh, they are able to detect this breast cancer extremely early and it is completely non invasive completely radiation free and it can be done on women of all ages which mammogram has a limit it can be only done above 40 45 years of age so again to map it back to the playbook here is a startup which is solving a very big problem across the world with a very differentiated technology and a solution with a large impact commercial as well as social impact so that kind of fits how deep tech can solve our everyday problem so it really fitted our template The impact of such companies is not limited to India of course uh because this is the a global problem how such company came onto your path how did you meet the founders because that's something that a lot of investors starting with deep tech are wondering about like how do you get the best deal flow we have been lucky benjamin i think 75% of our deals actually come inbound to us they are a combination of other referrals coming from other angel investors other venture investors and other well wishers plus folks directly writing to us one of the things that we have tried to establish as the ethos in an organization and bake it in our playbook is understand the innovation first 
don't reject the startup because you can't get the innovation sorted in your own mind so once we take that approach we we try to understand what the entrepreneur is making a difference and how and then it becomes easy for us to take it forward whether it's an investable case or not and uh, once the entrepreneur feels that we have understood it brings more entrepreneurs talking to us so i just feel that we have been very very lucky and kind uh, god has been kind uh, to us that most of our uh, good entrepreneurs in deep tech uh, knock on our doors and uh, we are able to we are fortunate to meet them you're bottom up investor and you look at many different sectors even though you're an engineer electrical engineer how can you handle looking into all those different technologies with confidence i think that has been a big challenge uh, for us uh, frankly the biggest motivation for me to get up in the morning and go to work to me this journey is about learning a new thing every day when a new technology comes across we just put in our best we can to understand what is the core essence of that technology and there can be a lot of details around it and then our playbook is like this so first of all we ourselves stretch ourselves to work with the founder to get the core essence of their innovation and i think that we have been able to do across technologies it comes with a combination of having done deep tech over a years across multiple things and then your knowledge becomes scalable etc and then that leads us to some critical questions that we need help with probably a specialist to chime in on we tried it the other way around where we said okay we don't understand this let's go and ask a specialist every time we did that we actually did not benefit because any incumbent in the space is always skeptical about the new innovation which is disrupting that space. <laughs> uh, that's really interesting. Yeah, that this saying in science that uh, science makes progress one funeral at a time when the incumbent, you know, gets out of a uh, of the way. Yeah. So what we realized is that that's not a good playbook. However, we we need their knowledge. So what we have changed our playbook is understand the core with the founder understand whether the founder understands it well or not and then come up with some questions that you can ask the specialist specific questions and then make sense of all this ah okay so you don't rely on the specialist to tell you if this is a good investment or not but you come up with some specific questions to challenge the possibility of the technology exactly it takes a lot out of us i mean uh, when we did agni cool for example uh, which was completely different from whatever we have done in our career how do you make space rockets affordable how do you make them small etc and once the founder first time presented it just went above our head could not get a hang of anything but then something came back and then we visited his lab go, uh, went and saw his designs talked to the professor saw a lot of the prototypes in work that got lot of connections going in the head and then one of the other things we try to do is to bridge this gap between a deep tech and a business if i can understand the tech element of that deep tech startup good enough i can explain to you the business impact of that in one sentence can i do that if i can do that then i think i have got it so that is another thing that we use as part of this right there are not many deep tech investors around and one of the biggest challenge in doing a deep tech fund is okay i have seeded the company i have put the money who's going to put the money next when they are ready and part of that journey for us is to convert that deep tech startup into a commercial startup more commercial looking startup so that the next uh, investor is looking at a business rather than investing in a tech that's actually a good point you invest at pre seed or pre a very early stage when the business is not yet having sales and maybe the product is not yet complete 
what are the milestones investors at later stages want to see and how can you help the startups achieve them? I think that's a very contextual question. What we have tried to do is to try and figure out what is the core essence looks like if this startup is successful. For example, I will take probably Niramai's example, right? Can this become a standard process of care for breast cancer early stage screening? If I take that as a success for Niramai, then I break it down into milestones and see how we can validate that. Right? Similarly, we have another startup called Visa, which is a mental therapy uh, AI therapist plus a human therapist behind to help in cases of escalations. So here we figured out, can humans really get helped by the AI therapist without human involvement? Right? Because then it scales. So we try and break down the basic essence of every startup uh you know what success looks like for them and then try to map that to a product market fit journey and break it down in milestones and it looks like in the case of niramide they already have the solution in many hospitals and have done lots of tests so they just raised a 6 million dollar roughly series a i was surprised to see uh, i think japanese investors in this round yes Niramai was early when they raised 6 million. They had some clinical trials going, but the data was early, probably had done five to 7,000 women scans by that time. So data points were on the lower side. There is a, still a lot of a skepticism of a new methodology getting introduced into breast cancer screening. So there were all these questions. A dream incubator who actually led the Series A had comfort with the uncertainty around and the potential that it brings to the table, which other investors were slightly struggling to see. Their next round may be different because by that time they would probably uh, get more regulatory clearances, have more clinical trials done, even not just in India, but beyond India as well to establish them towards standard care methodology. Everybody today with the coronavirus situation is understanding what means uh, problems with healthcare systems and the, the shortage of doctors and the healthcare practitioners. So that makes them more sensitive. But this is a really big problem in India. It looks like one thing for which Windias has an advantage is that because of this scarcity, there's an opportunity to maybe leapfrog with new technologies and get market acceptance much faster because the need is not answered in any other way. Absolutely. To make this point in another way is if you can imagine a pyramid with me where you have lots of people uh, looking for that quality healthcare access, but on the top of the pyramid, you have only very few healthcare professionals who are good. How do you manage this massive supply and demand gap? Only technology can do it. Once you have an AI platform in the middle, then it learns from those good resources on the top and makes it accessible to the uh, large part of the pyramid. And that model we have seen in healthcare scale in many, many ways. Same thing with Niramai, same thing with Visa, same thing with Sictiple. Uh, so we have seen that uh, play out in many different ways in different forms. India is actually a great place to build a healthcare startup. You get access to data, you get access to patients and on a much lower capital bias. Just to give you a sense, Niramai was out from lab into a hospital in under half a million dollars. Wow, that's impossible almost anywhere else. Absolutely impossible. As you know, we run accelerator programs in hardware and in life sciences. And even though our programs are providing unique resources in the Shenzhen ecosystem in San Francisco to really compress, and I think we're going to talk about that too, like compress development timelines, still has a cost. And uh, so that's very impressive to get to, to, get to testing uh, with devices for less than a million dollars. Yes. 
Other things I wanted to discuss about is the general landscape of a deep tech investment. So you're an early stage fund, you have about 30 million in your latest fund. I guess that gives quite a lot of mileage to companies in a market like India. What's the landscape for deep tech investments in India in terms of investment companies? I think at early stage, we are seeing a couple of other funds focusing on deep tech. Recently, Sequoia also put in money in the deep tech companies through their search programs. So we are seeing more and more of it. See, my journey as a venture investor is just four years old. Uh, I have been an angel investor in this ecosystem. But in the last two years itself, I can see a dramatic change in the kind of deep tech companies that were getting invested in that time and now. So I think we are at a cusp where uh, most of the investors are looking at technology in a very serious way. All funds. Deep tech is just a slightly more mature version of that. So it's happening. With time, I think you will see more and more funds looking at deep tech as a specialized thesis. It's like I'll give you a parallel, right? When we started the AI-focused uh, fund uh, three, three and a half, four years back and started making investments three and a half years back, those days, AI, no, every fund was thinking about it, but hardly any fund was writing any checks in AI. And we pretty much pioneered the AI fund thesis in India. I feel we are at a similar sort of a point for deep tech. People are thinking about it. The uh, the ecosystem is just coming about. But give it another three, four years, you could see this is a mainstream thesis. People are maybe also uh, seeing the limits of uh, doing uh, you know SaaS on marketplaces. They will. Actually, how many things you will do there? And what I found fundamentally is that the thing that stops people, investors from investing in deep tech is getting familiar with the tech. They have skepticism whether this is real or not. And therefore, they stop. They can see the business case, but they don't know whether this is for real and whether somebody else will disrupt them, etc. And I feel that funds like us have an advantage over there because our fundamental approach comes from that. Our fundamental approach of investing comes from understanding the tech. We don't shy away from that. Once we get comfortable with that, the other things are easier to get comfortable with. That understanding effort is kind of the barrier to entry for VCs. I think so, because if you understand it, you get familiar with it, you get familiar with it, you tend to make better decisions with it. But if you don't take the effort to get familiar with the technology, then you may be just nipping on the sides and not feeling confident in self, not being able to build your own conviction in it. Maybe one thing that also might make deep tech more attractive for investors is uh, the concept you shared around the shift and flattening of the S-curve for innovation and the adoption of technologies. Normal tech adoption curve is what is called as an S-curve, where you invest in a R&D and then you come up and then you reap the benefits of that technology. The deep tech curves are flatter than a normal S-tech curve. What that means is that you invest longer in the R&D and you have a shorter time sometimes or a sustained longer period, but you don't. You have a slightly flatter version of the S-technology curve. And therefore, that has been one of the problems that people are not having the right patience to invest in deep tech. Deep tech is actually undergoing a massive left shift. What that means is that it takes lesser time and lesser capital to do the basic deep tech innovations. And it is matching more and more like a general S-tech curve. And this has been enabled by a lot of advances like 3D prototyping, simulations, etc., AI. So the founders are able to do core iterations on the technology and product much faster in lot less capital than before. And that to me is a very good news. This massive left shift is a very good news because 
for seed investors like us uh, where we can put a million or two million dollars and we can actually see a deep tech company go from lab to a market adoption stage. So this is kind of this time compression makes it a more attractive category to invest in. Absolutely, because you need to not fund the company for that long. So check size is reduced and you can see progress much faster. So milestone uh, visibility improves. And uh, therefore, I do feel that that will make it more attractive. What do you see as the biggest risk for deep tech startups and deep tech founders? I remember it was quite a few years ago visiting India and hearing that doing tech startups was almost like social and career suicide. So this has changed a lot, obviously, in software. Uh, but what's the situation in hardware? If you're a biologist, if you're a medical doctor, if you're a mechanical engineer doing this and that in another company, and you decide to start a deep tech company, what are the prospects? If things don't go right, what happens to you? Good things happen to you. Today, there are opportunities available in all sectors for all kinds of expertise. People do like to work with entrepreneurs. There is absolutely no dearth of opportunities should you fail in your startup. I think the biggest change has been that the social stigma around a failed entrepreneur is gone. I think people respect you if you are taking a deep leap into something and really passionate about making a difference. But coming short of doing that, it is okay. I think society accepts you and there are multiple opportunities for you to do multiple things in it. So absolutely zero risk to your career, I would say. So that's really a big change compared to even five years ago. That's a massive cultural shift. Society and families probably understand that you're not uh, jeopardizing your future or your hard-earned education. Corporates and uh, all the different sectors are open to working with startups? Absolutely. I think we are seeing more and more of that, right? So I keep saying that the India market actually was shut for India startups for a long time. Indian businesses never used to buy from Indian startups. But I'll give you one example of our own company called Locus. They are logistics automation platform using AI. And before they went global, they reached almost a million dollar ARR within the Indian market, which is a very not an easy thing to do. But that proved the point that some of these big corporates and uh, most of their customers are actually big companies are, a, are willing to work with you should you have a good product. So that thing is opening up. And to your other point, let's say I fail doing a startup, I do have job opportunities available in other companies to, to fall back upon should I choose to pick up a job after my failed startup. So those opportunities are improving, those attitudes are improving, and I just feel that Indian market for Indian startups is opening up, even in acquisitions and in business and in investments. You mentioned logistics automation. That leads me to two thoughts. One is that in India, low-skill labor is quite affordable. What is the incentive to automate things that can be done with cheap labor? That sounds counterintuitive. In Locus's case, the problem they are solving cannot be solved by humans. And I'll tell you how. One of their customers, for example, is Big Basket, which is an online grocery provider in India. So they are hit with thousands of orders waiting to be delivered to all those addresses. Now, just imagine you have thousands of orders you have a set limited set of trucks. You have the addresses to which it needs to go. All this planning is a massive combination of what in computer science they call is a traveling salesman problem and a knapsack problem. In which truck, which order should go? A truck should take what route? Should there be a disturbance on the route? How do you readjust the system? All these problems are very difficult for a human to solve in terms of planning. And that's where Locust comes in. 
using their ai platform they automate the entire thing so that no human decision is needed in that planning humans are still needed to carry out those decisions to physically go and deliver but the planning part of it is what locus does I mean, that makes lots of sense so the other question i had was around the internationalization of indian companies how are they doing in terms of going global which generally means going to us but it could be going to markets with more similar ecosystems uh, maybe in southeast asia maybe in china are some companies particularly in deep tech managing to internationalize from india absolutely i think in our portfolio we have seen two of our companies doing global business already and some are on their way actually three uh, locus for example today is uh, doing business in 16 countries uh, us is one of them but other countries are different countries in southeast asia etc definition of global is no longer just going to us wisa which is a mental health company in our portfolio has large customer base in the uk and the us and in southeast asia beyond india actually customer success box majority of their clients are abroad not in india so depending upon what problem you are solving and how your gtm is folks are able to take their products global that's fantastic you know many countries have this syndrome of like the not invented here and maybe have some skepticism particularly for markets that don't have this image of innovation i'm from france selling french technology sometimes sounds counterintuitive even though there's like so many <laughs> french tech companies um, but uh, i would imagine india would uh, would be in that category i think it is changing dramatically benjamin i think the question is are you good enough to play at the global level and we are finding our companies to do that and if your product can really compete at the global level then people are adopting it that's great news going back to the question of deal flow i think a lot of investors are interested in investing in deep tech and just getting started are wondering how did you generate that many interesting companies coming to you you mentioned over 1000 companies to do 11 investments how did that happen luck cannot explain everything <laughs> <laughs> So one of the things that personally I've been involved in the ecosystem for the last few years while doing Let's Venture or even before is to keep meeting startups and um, help them in whichever way we could in terms of sometimes guidance, sometimes connections, sometimes money as an angel. So that momentum always continued. And with Pi, when the focus of deep tech came along, the focus of AI came along, it really played in our favor because I think we were one of the investors who took the effort to understand what they are doing from a technical perspective, from a product perspective. And that helped us in making better decisions and also it helped them in being comfortable in working with us. Luckily, that effect did not just stop with entrepreneurs. It also went to other VC investors in the ecosystem as well. So we actually get, get a lot of referrals from our other we see investors as well for deep tech where they believe that we can look at it uh, uh, more closely than they could didn't happen overnight and slowly we started seeing more and more deals coming to us today what we are struggling with with a small team is to make sure that we look at every email sent to us and we do that actually we have a process to do that but it puts a lot of effort inside to make sure that every entrepreneur writes to us. We may not respond back to the every entrepreneur, but we do look at every plan that is sent to us. Wow. So you're very thorough. Wow. That's uh, that's very impressive. I, I, I'm actually also asking the question a bit of a you know self-serving manner because uh, we are a global investor. We invest at the pre-seed and generally pre-product. So the big challenge for us is that we're investing in companies that have almost no visibility. So we're very reliant on networks and our own visibility to make things happen. 
So far, we've done 30 investments in India, but the vast majority are mobile apps. And we have fairly few actually on deep tech. We have two in the baby tech space, uh, one called Ray Baby that does a baby cam uh, with a kind of sonar technology. Another one is also in baby tech. It's called CradleWise, basically a smart cradle that can track if your baby wakes up and put them back to sleep. We have another one, the warehouse logistics called Unbox Robotics. Uh, we have also one in the biotech space, but I think finding those is, is actually quite tricky. What would you recommend to find such early stage startup? One of the things that you may want to try because you are doing pre-seeds is to go with the college incubators, connections, the accelerators. I think the founder network is pretty viral in India. So once you establish your brand as someone who can invest in pre-seed without looking at the product, but with good entrepreneurs and good idea, then that word spreads. Fundamentally, I just feel like just like a startup, right? You can't just rely on outbound. You have to make this whole process inbound. Then only it becomes efficient. Otherwise, it's, it's very expensive in time and money to make this work. So with a little bit of a establishment of your process methodology and your ability to see when nobody else is seeing the value, when that spreads, then you will see inbound deal flow coming to you 100%. Yeah, one thing we've seen uh, work very well in some geographies, uh, like in Canada or in France and the UK, for instance, is that once you've done a number of investments, the word spreads in the community, and thanks to the founders you invested in that can talk about what you actually done and your value add. In your case, the scene is very young, you're an early mover, but it's difficult to think that investing in a space tech startup is going to help you do a biotech investment. Uh, actually, it does help us because the common thread is that there is deep tech in it. Another thing we do, Benjamin, is we actually lead most of our deals. And that also gives the entrepreneur confidence to talk to us. If they're able to make way with us, then we will uh, they will get a lead. I think that helps in creating that inbound as well. But it's early days, Benjamin. I think we still need to do a lot of hard work to do justice to what we have set out to do. Well, I think those are fantastic closing words. Looks like you've already done a lot of the work and I hope the ecosystem keeps growing with you and around you and leads to many more successes. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for listening. To know more about Pi Ventures, check out their website, Twitter, and their blog post titled Deep End of Deep Tech, Next Frontier for Indian Startup Ecosystem. Subscribe now for future episodes, follow us on Twitter at SOSV, or visit our other podcast, Designing Science on Biology, and China Startup Pulse on Asia Cross-Border Internet. Thank you.